Hi, Internet. Welcome to The Stakes. I am Holly Anderson. I am MTV's Director of Politics and News. I am joined here in our New York studio on this last day of the last election we will ever have before the forever sleep uh, by MTV's senior political correspondent, Anna Marie Cox. Hey-ho. Senior national correspondent, Jamil Smith. So, And political writer, Jane Coaston. Howdy. Guys, is it even jinxing it if I put something out there so vague in the universe like we made it? Did we, though? Fair point. Yeah. I mean, I think this is some Inception bullshit. You yeah. Know? Like, are we really, is this really happening? Are we talking about this happening or is it happening? Someone pointed out that Congress can vote to push back the date of the election. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Has the NYPD arrested Hillary? Because I heard that was happening today, despite her being in Philadelphia. <laughs> that would, Schwartz, that, it's fine. That would be a neat trick, uh, similar to Jinx's. I don't really believe in Jinx's. Uh, I just think, you know. Cleveland, hello. Uh, <laughs> yes, a Cleveland fan doesn't believe in Jinx's. That is a breaking news item. And hey, Chicago Cubs fan, all Jinx's are broken now. There's no, there is no, there are no, there are no Jinx's anymore. So Not let's just. all. So let's, no, but no, so seriously. So it's all, no Jinx's ever. I think we can speak freely. Be totally honest. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some stuff, which is that I think on Wednesday there should be a parade for women and people of color um, to, by the nation saying thank you. That's as, what I'll uh, say. As I said uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago, minorities are basically the backup quarterback who's just driving the length of the field and saving everybody's ass. I think they might be the quarterback. I yeah. mean, I'm at... <laughs> oh, they are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. we are now. Yeah. Or a vulturing fullback. <laughs> the women are defensive line? I don't know. Like, I mean, we, we deserve some credit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I think that, you know, the story of this election is going to be Donald Trump's original sin, um, which is to say his very, very first speech, you know, his very first announcement when he talked about Mexicans being rapists. Um, when it came out very very clearly shortly after that um, his attitudes towards women the stuff he said about Carly Fiorina the stuff he said about Megyn Kelly like it was I hate all the usual campaign metaphors but it was baked in right Right. away like he was the first question he got at the first GOP primary debate was about why do you keep saying all this stuff about women and minorities and to which he responded well I just said that about Rosie O'Donnell Mm mm-hmm after talking so much this year about post-reality politics, it's going to be, I'm very much looking forward to, Lord willing, Creek Don't Rise, a big sweeping rebuttal to the that's not a thing school of thought. Like, hey, it turns out that you can't just keep saying that you said these things that you said, even though as a nation, we've let you get away with it for a year now. And hey, your actions have consequences, something the rest of us had to learn in kindergarten. <laughs> but I think the important thing to remember after this election is, even after he's defeated, is that Republicans have been saying something similar for years now to all this stuff. He's just saying mm-hmm. it more bluntly, mm-hmm. more clumsily, uh, you know, and, and they're saying it not necessarily through rhetoric, but through policy. And that's what really matters. And I think people need to be focused on how these things that all this stuff that's manifested in Donald Trump's self are being manifested throughout Republican policy, maybe, you know, right right now and also for the last decade or so. Like, one of the most dangerous things, I think we can agree, one of the most dangerous things Trump has talked about has been the rigging of the election, right? Like, everyone seems to recognize on the the right and the left and the Republicans and Democrats that you shouldn't talk that way about what has been over 200 years of peaceful transfer of power. Um, You know what set the groundwork for that is all the voter ID laws that have been passed by all those nice Republicans out there, you know, like Scott Walker and Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin, like all the good Republicans that we're supposed to have so much respect for because they're not like overt racist. Mm-hmm. Right. If they hadn't seeded the ground um, with this rhetoric of uh, with this talk about voter fraud and demonizing, um, you know, some people, you know, like I think that he wouldn't have been able to make that argument about the election being rigged. Well, and. You know, it starts with guys like that and it goes back as far as, you know, people we used to think of as statesmen like John McCain. Mm. It's who has now, you know, been saying that he will adopt an obstructionist tack if Hillary takes office uh, in terms of filling a seat on the Supreme Court, which, you know, as was being discussed yesterday, kind of gives the impression that what Republicans actual platform is all Democratic presidents are illegitimate no Mm -hmm. matter what. And I think that that's one of the real challenges for the GOP is that what you know I I hate it when people talk about beltway politics because that doesn't really mean anything but within conservative circles there's a whole sense of what they think they're talking about Mm -hmm. Paul Ryan has his whole a better way he has his whole you know this policy platform that's focused on what he perceives as being kind of anti-poverty and all these other platforms that, you know, if you talk to somebody at the Weekly Standard National Review, they think that's what conservatism is. Mm-hmm. They think that everybody's read Russell Kirk. Everyone knows who William F. Buckley is. Like, they think that that's what they've been selling. It's, it's this not. incubated conservative college newspaper right, culture that you is. were writing about right, earlier exactly. this month. But it turns out that doesn't sell and it hasn't sold. Like, Barry, Go- mm-hmm. even Barry Goldwater had to be like, actually, I don't want to kill Social Security in, like, 1964. Right. And so what they've realized what does sell is nationalism and racism. And now they're like, oh, that, oh, that thing that we've been doing, oh, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I think um, one of the more interesting things I I saw written towards the end of the election was by Ben Howe, who is a writer um, at Red State. And he wrote an essay that basically was like, I was kidding myself about who my allies were. Right. And the punchline of it is, what? where do you go when the only people who agree with you about tax policy hate black people? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the most honest piece I've read from a never-Trump person who took full responsibility for the fact that he made common cause with racists right. in order to fucking pass marginal you know, tax plans. And, and he has forced, and he at least, Ben, who I know, is questioning how important is tax policy to me. Right. Right. Like, right. am I willing to make common cause with racists? Is is that how important lower, you know, the killing the estate taxes? Right. And I think that that's something that you're going to see a big reckoning with, because I think that that's something that's been facing Paul Ryan. And Paul Ryan has decided, I'll just go with it, which is mm-hmm. kind of going to be turn out to be kind of ironic, because I think one of the big things that might come out after this election is that Donald Trump will be less furious with Hillary Clinton than he will be oh. with Paul Ryan. Oh, oh, I'm, I pause about that. I do think Ben might be the, the rare case right. that he's at least willing to ask himself that question about how important is tax policy to me compared to racism. Whereas I think that other people, the only good thing I can think is that they're at least having to recognize who their allies were. I right. think they might ultimately decide that's okay. I mean, I, I think I have less faith in this re- eventual reckoning yeah. than, than maybe some others do because they've had chances the last two election cycles to have this reckoning. Um, certainly the racism was no more obvious, I think, than it was when a black person was at the top of the Democratic ticket. And then also voter suppression is not anything new. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the brand of the current brand of Republican voter suppression is old hat at this point and you know we've it's seen all the quaint isn't it right. yeah i mean like we've horribly seen horribly quaint but yeah, quaint. We, we 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 it's so familiar to us that we expect it and that in itself is dangerous but i think that when you see 
what's happening in North Carolina with, you know, the people, you know, who are affiliated with the Republican Party getting on television and saying, oh, well, look at, you know, black turnout is down in North Carolina um, because, you know, well, maybe they're not as enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> no, asshole. It's because there's voter suppression there. It's because they decrease the number of polling sites in a particular county from 17 to 1. It's because, you know, there are lines that are hours long. And, in a, you know, Jane, in our home state of Ohio, you can only vote early at the Board of Elections in your county. There's only one of those. Mm-hmm. OK. And that's why there was a four hour, you know, 4000 people long line in, in Cincinnati. That's why there's lines double around the block in Cleveland. Um, this is not new. And so all these never Trump people, we keep patting people like John Kasich on the head for not voting for Trump, saying, oh, wow, what a principled thing to do. When, in fact, he's one of the architects of this voter suppression. He mm-hmm. is one of the main people behind it. So don't save me all this, you know crap about all this oh i'm gonna you know take a stand against racism in my party well if you really want to take a stand against racism in your party take a stand not just against the rhetoric but against the actual deeds right and to bring up the other you know kind party of the other demographic of people who we should be thanking on wednesday hopefully i meant to do that knock on wood um uh women you know, Kasich, uh, not exactly a friend to uh, women and, and, and people who value women's reproductive rights. Uh, I think that that's a part of this story that also has been built into the Republican rhetoric or built into Republican policies and not been a part of po- Republican rhetoric. And Donald Trump has simply made it clear when he said women should be punished for having an abortion. That is the logical conclusion of how Republicans talk about choice. Which has been really interesting because a lot of conservatives have raised the point that Donald Trump is what liberals think conservatives are, which somehow makes him even more powerful because he is the little, you know, like you after that happened, you had all of these kind of pro-life activists being like, no, that's never what we would say. That's not what we want. We, but then like the logic, it is the logical conclusion. It is something that like if you believe that abortion is murder, wouldn't you want to punish what whom you believe to be the murderer? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's been something that's really cha- been challenging for conservatives and Republicans is that all of these things that they thought, I think they thought that they could do this in shades of gray, and Donald Trump exists in a world of black and white, right. very literally. Another point, person I'd like to bring up sort of as an interesting case of having to reckon with how Trump has, you know, just articulated more clearly or turned black and white what used to be shades of gray is Ross Douthat, who wrote a piece in The Times about how he, I think he was going to go ahead and vote for Hillary, even though he's pro-life, because he made the argument, which is an argument that w- we sitting around the table would find incredibly obvious, which is that it's it, when it's the republic on the line... You can't go to this this one cause. Right. You know, and I'm like, okay, that's great, Ross. Are you going to be able to think that way about every other race? You know, like every other time you're asked to make a choice, like, are you just going to be like, nope, I'm going to go back to my single issue now? Right. You know, like he's for some reason he could recognize in this that there that while this is an important issue for him, he, there are other ones that are as important. And he can make a distinction between this one issue that he cares passionately about and a whole spectrum of causes for the country. And I also think that does Ross do that? He doesn't. I think the major factor <laughs> is I don't think he I, no one thinks that Donald Trump genuinely cares about abortion. Oh, no. Yeah, all. no one. No, no one. No one does. No, because he said he was very pro-choice like, until 
like 10 minutes but, ago. But again, yeah. the, the question isn't what he personally yep. believes. It's what he does and the people whom he right. associates with. And so that to me is, is the key. Right. And I think it's interesting that there have been a bunch of pieces coming out recently saying like, well, he wouldn't actually build a wall or kick out Mus- like kick out Muslims or immigrants. And I'm like, oh, so the reason to vote for him is because he won't do anything that he said he would do. Oh, so okay. he's, he's so he's politically correct. Oh. <laughs> no. How interesting. Well, I mean, I've been saying from the beginning that, yeah, actually, I do think that the people who support him don't really care about anything. No, they accept white supremacy yeah that all they really care about and the thing they really respond to from what he's saying is is his vilification of the other and he's able to create this nostalgia for white supremacy and it doesn't matter to them like it honestly there are supporters who i think i've I've talked to them at rallies who say yeah he might when i pointed out the impossibility of building the wall they're like yeah i mean one of the most he wants to right one of the most interesting things i think that's come out of this 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 trump base you know, this used to be the party of po- uh, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans were always trumping this, this no, no pun intended, the, um, you know, the ethic of raising yourself up by your own bootstraps. <laughs> when, in fact, the entire campaign about, you know, that Trump is running is based on, you know, blaming someone else for your own troubles. And they want a welfare state for white people. Yeah. That's the entire thing. Big government, but for white people. Yeah, they that want to use eminent domain to build a wall with Mexico and take people's land. It and is called national socialism. Yes, you know, I mean, like <laughs> it is. It's 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 you know the welfare state for it is the welfare state for right. white people. Yeah. Definitely. And so you know, I think, Lord willing, we're not going to have to worry about that after Tuesday. But we are going to have to worry about the mindset that is definitely, you know, seeped within this party. I mean, that's not going to go away. What do you guys think about where this is headed, you know, culturally after this is after this uh, election? Well, I think that that's going to be the real challenge is that I think that there will be Republicans who think like, oh, you know, we had 17. I mean, for one thing, they had way too many primary candidates. And I have a whole argument that when you have that many, someone like Donald Trump can sneak through. Um, But, you know, we had the most diverse basically like group of potential nominees ever mm-hmm. you had you know carly farina and ben carson and all these other people and they're like ah oh, you know if we just had offered if we just had made marco rubio and ted cruz more palatable to the american people and i'm like that's the issue they're not they're not going to be people aren't going to be like ah oh, well next time we'll go with rubio i don't care what people are finding like wikileaks or something like that the point isn't that hillary was concerned about ted cruz or marco rubio it's that people didn't want them I mean, Trump right. never really got above, I think, 42% of the vote in a lot of these primary races because there were so many people competing. But he still got more than Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. And I think that the real challenge is that the con- – like, I think that you know, when we talk about the establishment, that really exists in mm-hmm. conservatism. There really is a conservative establishment of people – who, you know, write for these outlets or talk about these issues. But now they're realizing, like, oh, what people want to hear is Breitbart, which is just, like, <laughs> their stormer, but on the Internet. But, like, they they want to hear... They want to hear themselves talked to by racists and anti-Semites, which has been really interesting to see all these conservatives who are like, I didn't know that there were so many anti-Semites in this party. And I'm like, sorry, David French. (laughs) They've been here this whole time. (laughs) But I really think the challenge is going to be that, like, if it comes down to Marco Rubio or Trump 2.0, I think it's pretty clear that as the number of 
white people without college degrees increases and a number of people who appear to re- be reacting with any to any sort of diversity this way they're going to go with Trump 2.0 right all right guys we are heading out into the day to face our last day before the last election ever Jane what's one thing you're going to be keeping your eye on tomorrow uh, I think that I'm going to be keeping my eye on the Latino vote in Florida. I think that that's, I mean, already the early voting numbers have been outstanding. Yeah, I heard the early voters already outstrips the total votes of the 2012 election. Yeah, it turns out when you... 150%. It turns out when you tell a minority group that you don't like them, the minority group doesn't respond with, okay. Correlation and causation just having a huge year. Jamil, mm-hmm. what are you going to be watching for tomorrow? What we already talked about, uh, voter suppression's effect in states like North Carolina and Ohio. Anna, what about you? Risky prediction for me, I think, but I'm going to make it, which is that this was an unprecedented year for online voter registration through portals like Facebook, also campaigns from Teen Vogue and The Skim, which is a sort of millennial-focused news digest. Um, the Skim alone registered 100,000 um, people, most of them, 90,000 of them, 90,000 of them were young women. Uh, so I wonder if millennials might actually turn out. They registered. They definitely registered. Minnesota and California saw a record high same day. Um, registrations online when Facebook promoted the last day of registration. So, you know, we might be hearing from the parade might have to be for women, people of color, and the youth. The kids Hooray! might be all right. The young. Know. Yeah. All right. That does it for our election eve stakes after dark or sad. We will be back at you on Friday with our regular episode. And we will be back at you on Facebook tomorrow starting at 650 10 to the hour, every hour, beginning at 10 minutes before 7 p.m. Eastern Time and continuing until dot, dot, dot. We will have dancers, singers, musicians performing out of our revamped TRL studio in Times Square. We will have Jamil Smith with the Clintons, Anna keeping touch on the conservative movements, Meredith Graves out in Times Square snagging voters with their I Voted stickers and making them tell their deepest, darkest secrets. We will have our very own Jane Coaston, Julianne Ross, Gabby Wilson, and Marcus Ellsworth in studio. See you then.